You're in the water loop. Waterloop is made possible in part by grants from Springpoint Partners and the Walton Family Foundation. Hi, this is Travis with Waterloop. Right now, more than half of the United States is in some form of drought. It's not just out west. It's up in the Pacific Northwest. It's in the upper Midwest. There's drought in New England, and there's even dry conditions here in North Carolina where I live. Almost 80 million people live in some part of the country where there's drought. During times like this, every drop really does count. Showerheads are an easy way to conserve water in our homes. That's why I use High Sierra Showerheads at my house, and I'm really proud that they're a sponsor of this podcast. They carry the EPA WaterSense label for water efficiency and use 40% less water than conventional low-flow showerheads. They use just a gallon and a half a minute. So what does that come out to? For every minute you're in the shower, you're saving one gallon of water. You take a 10-minute shower, that's 10 gallons of water you have not used because you have high Sierra shower heads. Over the course of a month, that's 300 gallons of water that have been conserved. You're going to also save on your water bill and your energy bill. You can get 20% off using promo code LOOP20 at HighSierraShowerHeads.com. You're in the water loop. Welcome to Waterloop. This is Travis. Lots of news lately about drought in the West and in California in particular. I'm very happy to be joined by two guests to talk about the situation in California and what it means for agriculture. I have Heather Cooley. She is Director of Research at the Pacific Institute. Heather, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks, Travis. It's great to be here. And I have Ruth Dahlquist-Willard. She is a small farms and specialty crops farm advisor at the University of California Cooperative Extension. Ruth, glad you could join as well. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, so again, I said there's there's a lot of the news right now with drought in California. Um, what's just kind of the, the latest situation? What's What's happening? What's projected to happen as the summer continues on? Yeah, well... California once again is finds itself in, in a major statewide drought. Um, we, you know, from 2012 to 2016, we had a severe drought. In fact, the most severe we've had in 1,200 years. Um, we are now in year two of yet another drought. Um, and all of the state, as I mentioned, this is a statewide drought. All of the state is experiencing drought, um, about 85% of the state is in either uh, extreme or exceptional drought, which are the two most severe drought categories. Uh, statewide precipitation was about half of normal. Uh, the snowpack was, was very small and it melted two months early. Um, and the runoff that we had didn't make its way to reservoirs as it historically had. Runoff was was even less than what we expected. Um, and that's because more water was lost, more of that snow water was lost through evaporation and the parched landscape absorbed more of it than, again, than, than we had typically expected. Uh, reservoirs are low. They're about 50% of average um, in, in our major reservoirs. Um, and again, with that snowpack already have melted and with demand starting to peak, we're in the summer months, 
those reservoir levels will continue uh, to decline. Um, similarly, you know, groundwater, uh, one of the beauties of groundwater is that it's less responsive or less susceptible to sort of annual precipitation. Um, but we know that because of the previous drought, groundwater was severely overdrafted and so has not recovered from that. Um, so, you know, looking ahead, we can expect, again, we're in our summer months, California with its dry summer, that's when we see demands going up. We don't expect much in the way of precipitation um, until, you know, October really at the earliest. So at least between now and October, we're going to see conditions get worse um, and, and potentially longer if, if this drought goes on another year. You mentioned the snow melt. A lot of people might not realize that California really depends on that snow up in the Sierra Nevadas that right accumulates and melts and slowly runs off in the spring. That's such a critical source of water. Um, Ruth, it may sound like an overly simplistic question, I guess, but I, I want to hear how drought impacts agriculture. Obviously, you need water to farm, right? <laughs> but I'd love to, to hear you explain a little bit about uh, what it's like for farmers, what it's like for agriculture when conditions get this way. Well, as Heather mentioned, the, the reduction in availability of surface water is one of the big impacts. So, for example, in, in the Fresno area, on the east side of Fresno, where there's a lot of small family farms, we rely on snowmelt from the Sierra Nevada. And when that's not there and that's that snow isn't melting and flowing and filling up the reservoirs and then going into the rivers and um, into the canals to the irrigation districts, farmers don't get surface water delivery, then they have to rely on pumping groundwater instead. And so there's this connection where you have less surface water available and in a, in a, a little while here in Fresno, we'll have no surface water. Um, in certain irrigation districts that aren't able to deliver water from the snowmelt. Um, and then uh, farmers turn to pumping groundwater and then the groundwater levels start dropping. So, um, you know, it's, it's, we don't have rain fed agriculture. Um, really we have ways of storing water to use during the dry uh, months that are most of our growing season. And so when that surface water is not available, um, you know, we either have to pump groundwater or or fallow the land, basically. Yeah, and maybe this is something you would get into later in the conversation. But I just I think I saw just some news articles in the past day or so about uh, groundwater withdrawal monitoring. Maybe starting to take a look at putting monitors in to see how much farms are actually pumping. Uh, is that something that's that's in the works and and being put in place or just being considered right now? Well, that will definitely be happening more as part of the Sustainable Groundwater Management Act. So that that was passed a few years ago. It has a long implementation timeline. Um, it won't really be fully implemented until about 2040. But um, each um, groundwater basin in the state has to monitor groundwater use and eventually show that it's going to be sustainable in the amount of, of water it's able to take in and the water it's using. So... Um, you know, that's definitely going to happen more. People are going to put flow meters on their pumps to measure how much groundwater is being pumped. There's also satellite monitoring of groundwater use through the amount of water the crop is using and that's evaporating off the crop. So um, that's definitely going to be happening more in a, a variety of ways with different tools. Mm. 
Uh, you know, Heather, you mentioned that the, the, the previous drought, um, and I'm really curious, there was lots of news back then when, when that was happening. Um, what, what lessons were learned uh, coming out of that? And I guess even more importantly, what, what policy adjustments or new tools were developed for agriculture as a result of California's last drought? Yeah, there were there were a number of I think important lessons. Um, one of one of the lessons, and I think this was surprising to a lot of people, certainly at the time, were that the impacts on agriculture were less than expected. Um, and in fact, agricultural revenue during the last drought was at historical highs, um, and that though came at a tremendous cost. Um, and that was the groundwater overdraft that 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 Ruth had mentioned. Um, and in fact, that really led to the led to Sigma. Um, that groundwater overdraft too, you know, I think while it helps to sort of limit or reduce the economic impacts of the drought for agriculture, it then passes those costs on to others. Um, it passes those costs on to small communities whose water systems went dry or who had to dig deeper wells as a result. Um, or to other other farmers, frankly, that had to dig deeper wells if, if they could afford to do so. Um, and it also passed that cost on to future generations, right? So as those levels decline and are not subsequently recharged, that's additional cost for others to pump groundwater if, if again, if it's available and accessible. Um, so, you know, it's a, it came at a tremendous cost, both to current and future generations. And, and I, think, I think that's important to, to recognize. Um, there were, though, a number of tools and a number of positive things. I think the Sustainable Groundwater Man Management Act, or SIGMA, um, really would not have happened without drought, without that last drought. Um, you know, there, there are policy windows that are created. I think in water, as in many areas, it, it often takes a crisis to compel us to make major and important changes. And, and that's what we saw in the last drought. Um, as Ruth mentioned, though, the implementation timeline is, is very long. Um, it's not until 2040 uh, that these groundwater basins are, you know, needed, that they need to be in sort of balance. And so there can be declines and continued declines until that happens. Um, and so that that is, is certainly problematic. Um, I think in part driven by drought, but also in recognition of the fact that our snowpack is going to decline with warmer temperatures and, and as a result of climate change, there has also been far more interest in groundwater recharge um, as a strategy for capturing some of that winter runoff again in these extremely wet periods or as a result of the fact that that it's not being captured in snow and is instead running off in those winter months. Um, so there's a lot of interest and a lot of activity around groundwater recharge. And so I think that will be an important strategy in California going forward. Um, certainly, though, there's questions around how much water is really available. A lot of folks are sort of counting and banking on it. Um, how much is available? How are we going to pay for it? Do we have the infrastructure to get it from where it is to where it's needed? You know, those are all questions I think that are that are still um, up in the air. Uh, so, yeah, I'll stop there. I, Ruth, I'm sure you have some some to add to that, but 
but, but certainly, you know, I think droughts are sort of important opportunities for us to, to, to look back and see sort of perennial deficiencies for new deficiencies, you know, given climate change, given the things we're experiencing. Um, so, so there are lots of opportunities that present themselves to be doing things better and preparing for that next drought. Yeah. I'll, I'll just add that when, when Ruth mentioned that 2040 number the first time, that, that jumped out at me, right? Like you, It seems like things are at a crisis level and 20-year and timeline is, uh, I know that there needs to be time to allow people to implement things and to adapt and so forth, but um, seems like a seems like a long time. But Ruth, um, from your perspective, working directly with, with farmers, um, what, what do you think they learned from that last drought and, and maybe on their end, um, tools, policies, or, or so forth that, that might be helpful for them? Well, I think um, one thing that's new since the last drought is the development of the groundwater sustainability agencies under SIGMA, our GSAs, that are local authorities that are um, monitoring and planning groundwater use for each basin. And there are certainly actions that those groups are taking um, in consultation with farmers about ways to, for example, increase groundwater recharge. Um, I, I really liked what Heather mentioned about that. Um, and I will say in Fresno, there are a number of efforts by um, local GSAs as well as the city of Fresno to build new groundwater recharge areas. So the drinking water, for example, in Fresno is um, provided it has been, it has provided mostly from groundwater. It's, there's now two uh, surface water treatment plants that can take surface water from the mountains and the snowmelt when it's available and put it into the drinking water supply, which reduces the need to pump. And um, during this dry time is an ideal time for the GSAs and irrigation districts to build new recharge ponds. So that's happening. And I think that's one very proactive thing that's going on right now. Um, you know, in terms of lessons learned, I think it's it's really looking at the the unpredictability of of our climate and having to be aware of that. I I appreciate that Heather mentioned the temperature in the Sierras and how we can't rely on the snowmelt as we have in the past. And this is you know it's it's very poignant for me because I grew up in the San Joaquin Valley and my entire childhood the mountains were covered with snow, and just to think that that's not necessarily going to be reliable in the future, um, it's very sobering. So, you know, I think everybody's aware that there's going to have to be different strategies going forward, um, but it's probably going to be pretty painful for the next 20 years of Sigma implementation. Eventually, there will be probably, you know, limited water allocations per farm or per acre. Um, so there may be limitations set on how much groundwater you can pump. Um, there will be a lot more monitoring. There may be groundwater markets where farmers can trade um, their water allocations. So it's going to look really different. Um, but as you say, right now in the current crisis, none of those things are set up. Great. Well, p pivoting a little bit from the, the past and the last drought and to, again, this summer and what lies ahead. Uh, really curious about any 
preparations or changes, you know, specific things that agriculture might be doing or, or others might be doing to help agriculture to better get through this time, to continue to be able to produce. Um, California is such a, such a critical uh, agriculture state for the country and the world in a lot of ways. So yeah, what, what kind of adaptations or changes might be happening um, for this drought? You know, I think in the face of shortage, uh, farmers will look to alternative water sources or ways to reduce their demand. So, you know, with respect to water sources, obviously, by definition, drought means that there's less surface water available. Uh, and so as a result, farmers will be pumping more groundwater. Uh, it, you know, on average, groundwater accounts for about 40% of agricultural water use, but in drought years, you could see it's 70 or even 80%. Frankly, in some regions, it's as much as 90%. So there'll be a shift um, that can, of course, can then lead to declining groundwater levels. And so farmers may need to dig deeper wells um, in order to access that. And so there will certainly be a rush, um, a rush for that. Um, in addition, farmers will look to voluntarily buy or sell water. Uh, and that can be to other farmers, in some cases to cities. Um, sales to other farmers typically res result in sort of a transfer from lower value water intensive crops um, to, to higher value crops or from um, field crops that can be fallowed towards permanent crops, which need water every year. Um, on the demand side, you know, farmers will look at sort of deficit irrigating. So, you know, providing just under what, what the plant would normally need. That, of course, has an impact on production, but at least they're able to get some production. Um, they'll look at efficiency improvements, for example, or shifting crops. Um, again, going towards some that are perhaps less water intensive. Um, they'll also, of course, have to fallow some crops. Uh, obviously, typically that's going to be field crops for permanent crops. Again, they'll try to sort of access other other sources of water. Um, and of course, you know, we have to think about ranchers as well. Uh, you know, they're going to be looking at trucking in water, um, at having to buy feed, of course, because there's just less available um, and it's more expensive. Um, and some will have will look at sort of reducing their herds, uh, culling culling the herd, for example. So so there will be lots of I think changes that that we'll see, um, you know, as a result of the drought. Ruth, from your perspective, again, uh, working directly with farmers and, and small farmers in particular, um, what are they what are they doing to you know, get ready for this summer. I mean, the, su the summer's underway. I guess they're already being impacted, but what kind of adjustments are happening on the ground out there? Well, for the small farms that I work with, there are um, a large number of refugee and immigrant farmers, including the Southeast Asian refugee community um, in the Fresno area. Uh, many of them have made improvements through the SWEET program, which is the state water, um, ener water energy efficiency enhancement program. Um, which has provided funding for farmers to upgrade their irrigation systems, to improve their pump efficiency, and, um, for example, convert from flood irrigation to drip irrigation, which is uh, saving a lot of water, and uh, um, other energy efficiency improvements and water-saving technology. So the farmers who have implemented that in the last, I would say, you know, three or four years are definitely set up better to weather a drought as they're using less water, and they're probably going to have lower energy bills. 
one of the things that happened in the last drought was um, with the small farms, many people saw um, hugely increased energy bills because of having to pump groundwater from a lower level um, and maybe having to run the pump a longer time to get the same amount of water on the crop. So um, I'm hoping that farmers who have made some of those improvements are not going to see um, those problems as much. Um, so that's one thing that the farmers I know have done. Um, also during the last drought, um, many farmers drilled deeper wells. So, um, I would say people who drilled a deeper well during the last drought are probably going to be okay this year. Um, I'm not sure how much groundwater levels are going to drop in the Fresno area. We are currently still receiving surface water and that's going to stop fairly soon. So once the surface water stops, then the increased pumping will start and um, we'll see how much the groundwater levels drop. But um, there are also, I would, I would mention, I know you asked what farmers are doing, but there are some policy measures being considered right now, such as um, funding for farmers that are um, smaller scale or more limited resource to actually get a deeper well drilled. Um, and, and also some drought relief programs um, that the, the legislature is considering. So I'm hopeful that some of those will also be helpful. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, I, I know also that a lot of farms are, uh, it's a, it's a tight business, right? Uh, it's a, it's not a big, big profit margin, if you will. And so having to, to pay higher energy bills, having to go drill another well, these are big expenses, uh, for, mm -hmm. for, especially like you said, those smaller to medium sized farms to have to take on. Um, could you talk a little bit about maybe how drought response differs from small to medium to large farms? Well, um, a large farm with more capital has um, more of an ability to drill a new well, put in a larger pump, and um, be able to access groundwater more. Um, if you're a smaller farm, and especially if you have limited resources um, and you're a family-run, smaller-scale operation, you might not have um, $50,000, for example, to drill a new well to keep up with your neighbors. So during the previous drought, um, there was this huge demand for drilling new wells. There were well companies coming in from out of state uh, to meet the demand, and there was still maybe a six-month to a year waiting list sometimes um, to get a new well drilled. So, um, And the cost was really prohibitive for um, the farmers that I work with that are smaller scale and particularly um, you know, immigrant and refugee small-scale farmers. So um, there were a few farmers I know that were able to get a loan to drill a new well. Um, and through uh, some of those are through nonprofit organizations that have loan programs that are more um, friendly and supportive of smaller-scale farmers. Um, so that, but there's, that's a really small number of people. So there were a number of farmers that the, their well went dry and they weren't able to drill a new well and they either left farming or maybe they left it for a while until the water table came back up, which it, which it did a little bit. Um, or maybe finding financing through family members or other loan programs to, to drill a new well. Or sometimes there's things you can do like lowering the pump shaft uh, to, to get access to the water. But it's definitely challenging when you don't have um, the ability to just spend a lot of money up front um, to deal with those issues because um, particularly if, if you know, the surface water is not coming and your well has gone dry because the, the groundwater level have, has dropped, the, really the only option is to drill a new well. And if that's not available to you, then um, 
you know, there's not a lot of other options. Sure. What, um, how are farmers feeling, <laughs> you know, aside from the technical logistics and everything, what's the, what's the prevailing feeling among, among the folks out there? Well, I think people are worried about, um, you know, the future of availability of groundwater and surface water and changes that are happening. And also, also with new regulatory programs. Um, and there's a lot of uncertainty about, you know, will there be water markets and what will that look like? Will there be limitations on um, groundwater pumping because of Sigma? Um, so they, there definitely are, you know, people are looking at that and trying to figure out other strategies. Um, some people are leaving farming. I think um, there, I definitely have heard stories of farmers saying, I'm not sure if I really want to deal with this and maybe it's time to get out. Um, I think that, um, the combination of sigma and periodic droughts is is going to be very impactful for the farming community here, and everybody knows that. Yeah, um, I think we've talked a little bit about the future, but I wanted to focus that way. Now we've kind of done past, present, future here. Um, what are some of the longer term efforts? You've mentioned sigma, we've mentioned the the twenty four implementation, but you know, what are some of the longer term efforts um, that are maybe started to get underway or people are thinking about to prepare for future drought. Again, you, you mentioned that the groundwater piece, there's the groundwater recharge, um, but I'd love to kind of hear if there's anything else uh, in the works. Yeah, I, I think that's a really important question. And, and Ruth, you know, you hit on this and I, I'm, I'm so glad you did is, is when we're in a drought, our options are more limited. Um, and, and so it does take actions now in thinking and preparing for the next drought um, and the next set of droughts. And so um, a great and important question and one I think we'll need to be asking ourselves um, throughout this drought as well as, as sort of new issues uh, emerge and new opportunities emerge. But as you mentioned, I, I, I think we can't say it enough that Sigma is going to be critical. Mm -hmm. um, implementation, though, is long. And so accelerating that, um, I think maybe maybe needed um and and frankly this drought may may force that um groundwater recharge we talked about uh you know i also think there will need to be opportunities to reduce usage um groundwater recharge will will get us part we partly there to addressing the overdraft but we have to reduce how much we're taking from the system that's just you know, a harsh reality. Um, some of that will be through efficiency improvements. And, and again, Ruth touched on that of shifting from flood irrigation to drip irrigation, um, shifting towards crops that are less water intensive. We're, we're already seeing that, but in it, but continuing on that trajectory, I think will be important. Um, you know, there are developments and opportunities around drought resistant um, varieties of crops. There's lots of research and work around that. Um, I, I think we'll see more of that. That can, that can help. Again, not, there is no single thing we're going to do. It's going to be a lot of things. Um, there's also a lot of and a lot of interest around sort of regenerative agricultural techniques, looking at building soil health as a way of capturing and holding on to the water that is available um, and that is applied. Uh, I, you know, I've been delighted to see more of that conversation um, and that conversation advancing in California. Um, that that is important as well. 
And then I think there is a harsh reality of the, of the need to sort of take land out of production, um, particularly marginal lands. Um, I think that is a, it's, it's a very difficult um, process and decision. Uh, but, you know, I think we also need to be combining that and thinking of ways to support economic development in those areas as well, given that we are in some areas, you know, given that agriculture is unsustainable in those areas. So, mm. well, I, I like a, a bunch of the points you made there that this is, this is not going to be just one thing. It's going to be all of the above, right? Bringing every kind of tool to bear. Um, and, and you hit at the idea of technology and water efficiency and certainly technology is growing by leaps and bounds all the time. There's always something new. So maybe there's some opportunities there, even with irrigation and, and water efficiency that can be part of the solution too. And I, I've said this on other podcasts where I'm focused on the water, right? How are we going to have enough water? But we have to eat also, right? We, ne we need farms to feed our, ourselves and, and our country and beyond. Um, so it's, it's critical to find a way to, to help them be sustainable too. Um, Ruth, your, your thoughts on the future? I think planning is essential. I, I don't want to see land taken out of production with no plan because it's going to become a problem. There's going to be dust and weeds. Um, and, you know, in the Central Valley here, Fresno is a persistent poverty area that's heavily dependent on agriculture for the economy. Um, there's ways that could be done better. Um, maybe this is a good opportunity for that. Um, and a lot of the things that Heather mentioned, more drought tolerant crops, drought tolerant varieties, better soil health management, um, and alternative land uses. There's a lot of conversation about that right now. Some of it's about converting farmland to habitat. Some of it's about solar um, and just finding alternate land uses that can still have an economic benefit rather than just letting lands lie fallow without anything going on. Um, I, don't, I don't think it's good for the valley to just have a lot of fallow farmland um, that can um, create pest problems and problems with dust. And um, I think we really need to be looking for alternate land uses so we can still have working landscapes um, and have economic benefits for the region. And that is going to take a lot of coordination um, across different sectors, agencies, interest groups, um, that I, it's really going to have to be collaborative to make that work. And I'm really hopeful that um, there could be conversations about that. Yeah. Well, Heather and Ruth, I thank you both for your time and for all this information. Uh, I'm I'm going to be watching what's happening out there in California and, and just seeing all these developments this year and beyond. But thank you both for uh, being on the podcast. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks, everyone, for listening to today's episode. A special thanks to Waterloop supporters, Springpoint Partners, and the Walton Family Foundation. The Waterloop Podcast is sponsored by High Sierra Showerheads, the smart, stylish way to save energy, water, and money while enjoying a powerful shower. Use promo code LOOP20 for 20% off at highsierrashowerheads.com. If you like Waterloop, Please subscribe to the YouTube channel or your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on social media and visit waterloop.org to sign up for updates. Waterloop, Waterloop, Waterloop.